0: Should I use this? Okay. Thank you, Joey. All right, I'll, say, I'll speak louder. All right, let's pray real quick. Um, thank you, Jesus, that uh, you stand undefeated. You stand victorious. You are the reason we are here today. You are the reason that all of these faces and all of these lives have come together in this place, in this moment, so that you would receive the glory and so I pray today that as we sit and we spend time together and we hear your word, that, um, that you would receive the glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found pleasing and acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Nothing like a little technological hiccup to get the morning started. You're right. It would not be Region without a little mic issue. Oh, waka, waka. Okay. Uh, Good morning. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Kristen, if we haven't met yet. I get to be on the teaching team here at Region, and so I'm really excited to be with you this morning. Um, And before we dive in, I just want to kind of, like... Name what's happening in the room, because last week was a very emotional week for a lot of us. Um, We said goodbye to Kyle and Steph Tennant, and um, I just want you to know that if you're still feeling kind of sad about that or weird that this is our first Sunday without them, like that's okay. That's a totally valid way to feel, Um, and I I see you, I hear you, understand you, Um, and if you're like, I have been grieving for six months. I'm good. We can move on. That's also valid. And you're allowed to feel both things at the same time. That's kind of the beautiful thing about being a human being, right? There's a lot of feelings that aren't mutually exclusive. So um, just know that you are seen, you are loved. The oversight team is here to kind of guide you through this transition. The teaching team is here for that. Um, And if you are just itching to move on, that is what we are going to do today. Okay, we're going to start a new series. Um, and if you were with us a few weeks ago before our big transition, then you know we finished our series called Follow Me, about Jesus calling disciples and other people to follow him. And so for this next series, it's almost like we're taking that next step with Jesus. We're going to kind of continue on and see what it is he has to say about himself and about the kingdom which he came to bring. So as a church family, we're going to spend some time in the parables of Jesus. But let me start with a little bit of a confession, because you know, when I get up here, I really like to talk about myself. Um, I cannot help it. so, fun fact, I am the most unobservant person that I have ever met, personally. And Tim, can, my husband, can probably give you like 17 examples. I've only got two because I also happen to have a terrible memory. Um, that, well, that's for another sermon another day. Um, but really the, the crux of it is that I just don't pay attention to my surroundings very well. So let me give you an example. So for a a long while, I commuted to Kent State, main campus in Kent, Ohio, um, about every day for hmm, a few years, okay? So I took that same route every single day, about 45 minutes. And so one day I'm driving, I'm going to school, whatever. I look over to my left. I kid you not, there is a brand new house on the side of the road. Like you can tell it's newly constructed And I swear, I never saw a single person with a hammer. Like, it just appeared one day on the side of the road. I I was baffled. I I had no idea it was being built. Like, um, I had to have been driving past this thing for months, okay, Um, and then it's just there, it's magical. Also, now I'm gonna, let's see, let's see if I'm not alone in the world. Did you know, okay, so you know dandelions, right? The little yellow flowers. Did you know the white, puffy things that you blow on and make a wish is the same flower? (laughs) I am not lying to you when I say I was in my 20s when I figured that out, okay? A shocking, and you better believe, every day that week I was like, hey, did you know about dandelions? Have you heard? Shocking, okay? And if that's you in the room today, I see you, okay? If you didn't know that, you can pretend you did, it's fine. All right, so okay, why am I telling you this? It is a little embarrassing, um, but it actually, I think is a really good illustration of kind of a universal tendency to take what we can and what we cannot see and kind of weave our little version of reality, right? Like in my beautiful little Christian world, houses just magically appear without any work, and the yellow flower and the white puffy flower are a completely different species. And I know those are silly examples, but maybe you're thinking of some that you do too, or some realizations that you've had along the way. And we, we try and take a look at the world and we think we can just kind of objectively figure out this thing called reality. So like, for example, oh, my, my coworker looked at me kind of funny the other day, like she must think I'm incompetent. Or, my husband didn't wash the dishes like I asked, so clearly he doesn't care about me. Um, Oh, that friend of mine, she's like always smiling and her Instagram is beautiful. Obviously she has her life together, she could never understand where I'm coming from. Or, oh, I keep seeing this article on my Facebook page, but then they don't talk about it on the news, it must be a conspiracy, or like a cover-up. Right? Like, it goes from really little things to really like, insidious things really quickly. And that's just on the human level, right? That, that's not even getting into the spiritual realm that we think we can understand. Bless our hearts. Um, that's a whole other ballpark. So, and then comes Jesus, okay? And he shows up, and he just turns the whole world upside down. And he ushers in this thing that we call the kingdom of God, or heaven on earth. And with that, he reveals what real reality is. So, if we'll just go back in time. Jesus comes on the scene about 2000 years ago, right? Ancient Israel. And he's the seemingly random guy from a small town called Nazareth. He's walking around healing people, um, performing miracles. He's got this gaggle of scraggly followers behind him. And he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. And he's doing and saying a lot of like crazy things. And then his teachings are full of these short stories, which we as readers now call parables, um, which would have been full of this relatively familiar imagery, uh, maybe not so familiar to us, but to the people of the day. So like seeds and sheep, coins and fish, banquets, uh, weddings, fig trees, you know, and we're gonna get into a lot of that this summer. Um, But my goal today is really to talk to you about parables in general, on the whole, and kind of what Jesus was up to when he was using them. And so to do that, we're actually going to look at, like, a kind of parable in Matthew chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or whatever, and you want to meet me there, um, it's Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Now, just to give you some context... Kyle preached on this passage a couple months ago, but like just before it, Um, but here's what's happening. So Jesus is doing his thing, and he's just called Matthew, the tax collector, (gasps) that's a big deal, okay, to follow him, and now he's having dinner at Matthew's house. So he's not only dining with a tax collector, (gasps) but he's also eating with some notorious sinners. (gasps) Okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. (laughs) I just want you to know. It's like kind of shocking, okay? So all of this is kind of drawing some negative attention from the Pharisees, right? Which, that's what they do. We, we come to expect that the Pharisees are going to be, you know, looking at Jesus funny over this. But where we pick up in verse 14, we see another group of people are kind of raising their eyebrows at Jesus. So starting in verse 14... Then John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, um, and, you know, John the Baptist. Okay. John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment, for the patch would pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So essentially John the Baptist's followers are like, "Hey, why are we doing this like super religious stuff and you and your disciples are not doing this like super religious stuff?" To which Jesus responds, like this just isn't the time. This is not the right time. So in that day and age fasting was a time that com- was commonly tied to like mourning, grieving, um, a state of desperation or brokenheartedness usually over sin or over you know being in danger like think about uh, maybe like Daniel in exile in Babylon and he started fasting, like, that's a good example. Um, so Jesus is kinda of doing a couple of things in this section so first he is kinda of giving a little hint about himself being the Messiah Um, And the Old Testament is sprinkled with these passages about God being the bridegroom. So that's kind of where Jesus is dangling his little Messiah hint. Um, And so those who were really listening might have caught this, but it wasn't outright. Um, And then second, he's saying, you know, listen, the Messiah has come. Jesus is there. This is a time to celebrate. It's not a time to mourn. It's not a time to feel that desperation and brokenheartedness. There may be a time later once he's gone. He's not going to be there forever, um, but this is not the time. And so he's not saying, however, that fasting is wrong or useless. So don't get excited. Um, He's just saying it's not for right then and there. And then he gets to where we're really going to dig our teeth in, and that's the metaphor about wine and wineskins and patching old clothes with new cloth. So both examples uh, in this message are actually pretty simple, um, which is not always the case in parables, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, this applies to the practice of fasting for them, but in, as in this context of this passage, but it also applies to other religious structures that were being upheld at the time. The old wineskins can't adequately contain the new wine, and the old cloth— will just tear worse because you put new cloth on there it'll shrink yeah okay so in this metaphor which barely qualifies as a parable but we're gonna go with it the new wine is the kingdom of god and here's jesus pointing to these old structures these old religious traditions that simply they just can't contain what it is he's bringing to the picture now literally speaking for all my nerds out there pointing to Joey specifically, Um, new wineskins back in the day, I won't get into it because it's kind of gross, but just know that wineskins, new wineskins were flexible. So when you put new wine in there, it could ferment and bubble and make gases and it would expand, it would be flexible. Okay, so that's kind of the image that we're going for here, flexibility. Um, And if there's any word to describe the religious state during Jesus' time, I promise you it is not flexible. So it has been thousands of years of Israel trying to get it right with just the law and just and sometimes listening to the prophets, not really. Um, And yet, they have fallen continually into cycles of sin. They have been exiled into foreign lands and led back. They've raised up judges and kings, some good, some not so good. Um, They've been occupied by outside oppressors. Uh, They've turned to other gods, and they've ignored the prophets. So, to put it plainly, their their way was just not working. It wasn't working. In fact, they had started to weaponize the law which just created more barriers rather than unity with Yahweh. So R.C. Sproul mentions in his commentary on Mark, it's about this same conversation, that Jesus was warning them that their king had come and that they would not be able to deal with this king unless they got rid of the structures that made it impossible for them to receive him. The kingdom of God is the low being raised up the high being brought down, the sick being healed, and sins being washed clean, and lots of other things that you're going to learn this summer. Um, And all of this just wasn't compatible with the status quo. Now, I always have to give you a caveat, right? This does not mean the law was wrong, or that, like, the Torah, aka the Old Testament, is silly. We don't have to read that. That is not what I am saying Even Jesus himself says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Other translations say, I come to fulfill them, as in he came to make them true, to complete them. He is providing a new wineskin. Commentator Janine K. Brown says, Making room for the new thing God is doing in Jesus' life and ministry will likely necessitate new practices, dispositions, and ways of thinking, which is kind of analogous to the new wineskins for new wine. And this short little statement here in Matthew, is, uh, as well as all the other parables, is just an expression of that. What are these it's an explanation of what are these new practices, these new dispositions, these new ways of thinking that would be required in the kingdom of God. N.T. Wright says that parables were prompted by Jesus' need to explain what he was saying and doing with the rest of his mission. These are the verbal explanation of his like hands-on action. They're not separate entities. And you can see that in this passage, too. If you have your Bible, you can look. Okay, so say your your section's here. You look over here. You look over here. Turn your page. Do what you got to do. You will see this little dinner is happening smack dab in the middle of a bunch of healings. And in those healings, who is Jesus interacting with? Let's let's just name them out. An outcast with leprosy. A Roman officer. Yeah, Rome, Israel's oppressor. Eww. Um, the demon possessed, the blind, the, a paralyzed man, a tax collector. <gasps> I, said I, I said I was done gasping, I wasn't. Um, a young girl they thought was de- who was dead. And a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, someone who had been an outcast for 12 years. All, many of these people, if not all, um, would not have even been permitted to set foot in the temple. And yet, here's Jesus, the walking temple, coming to them. And he's healing them he's encouraging them and to have faith in the son of man he's forgiving their sins which is more than just healing their ailments this is really really radical stuff like we cannot lose sight of that just because we have heard it a million times and so what is jesus's way to explain all of these radical things that's happening well he uses parables that's one of the things so let's talk about parables. We often think of them as these like memorable, short, simple stories, easy to understand, usually teaching us like a general moral lesson. So think about like the boy who cried wolf, right? We all, do we all know that story? Okay, a few of you know that story. <laughs> um, okay, it is short and simple. It's pretty easy to understand. Essentially, the the point is, be honest or people will stop trusting you and then you will get eaten by a wolf, right? Okay. So, and while when we we get into the parables, we can find little nuggets of moral truth. Um, That's not really their main focus. That's not really their purpose. They're not necessarily meant to be immediately applicable to us in that way. Jesus is instead using the parables as like a companion tool in his kingdom campaign, really. He's spreading the kingdom, and this is just one tool in his bag of tricks. It's not tricks, okay. Oh, okay, Sorry, That clearly I just ad-libbed that part. Um, don't say tricks. Um, anyway, this is one tool that he has to spread his kingdom in the world. And so instead, when we're hearing and reading the parables of jesus we tend to ask you know how is this parable about me and my relationship with god and instead i think we should maybe flip it and ask what does this parable reveal about jesus and god's kingdom what does it teach me about what the world looks like when god is in charge because that is the question that jesus is trying to answer do i need to say those again I'll I'll say it again. What does this parable reveal about Jesus and God's kingdom? And then what does this teach me about what the world looks like when God is in charge? I want you to bury that in your brain all summer, okay? Now next, let's just clarify that parables actually aren't always easy to understand. And that is okay. That is by design. So if you open up a gospel and you read a parable and you're like, ooh. I don't know what that means. You're not alone, okay? These were meant to be mulled over. And even Jesus says only those with eyes to see and ears to hear could really get it right away. Many times we see the disciples themselves go up to Jesus after he's preached and are like, what does, what, could you, could you say that again? Could you just like say it in English, please? Um, And the thing is, he constructed Jesus, constructed the parables in this way that required his listeners to work. And so we've got to do a little bit of work, too. And that's okay. There is no shame in that. And all throughout the Gospels, we see a wide range of responses to the life and the ministry of Jesus, including his parables. We see some who hear and respond with allegiance and praise and understanding— and there are some who are just plain confused, and they just walk away. And then we see some who react in defensiveness, cynicism, and skepticism. And so today, and this summer, we have a choice, right? Like, we have a choice in how we respond to Jesus' parables. We have a choice in how we respond when Jesus asks us to do new things. And how flexible we're willing to be for the kingdom of God. We can be cynical and skeptical. That's really easy to do in the year of our Lord, 2023. Um, Or we can be open to the new practices, dispositions, and ways of thinking that come with living in God's kingdom, even if those things are new to us. Because when we do, we start to see the world differently. We begin to see what Jesus sees right? And which leads us to walk as Jesus walked, and ultimately to love as Jesus loves. And then our version of reality, no matter how silly it may be with our instant houses and flowers and things, that gets flipped upside down, because that's what Jesus does. He just does that a lot. Um, and then we get to see what's actually true. We get to see what reality really looks like. And we want to be a people who listen In order to learn about the kingdom who are open and willing to partner with Jesus in creating this kingdom here and now this is not some like future thing happening up in the clouds somewhere this is like boots on the ground stuff so we want to be open to that because in this way we get to catch a glimpse of the reality that is the kingdom of God and then we get to live in heaven on earth will you pray with me Lord, we thank you that you saw fit to send your son Jesus um, as a vulnerable little baby, as we sang in that song this morning. Lord, we thank you that um, you saw fit to send him down to spread his kingdom here on earth um, so that it's something we get to taste and see and enjoy um, on this side of heaven. I just realized Corey's supposed to do response time, and I am praying. Um So, Lord, I'll pass it over to Corey so he can do response time. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.